Welcome to our Wednesday night service. We uh, want to encourage you to follow along in the Word of God. We're looking right now at Psalm 33. So if you want to go ahead and get your Bible and turn there, uh, we would invite you to do so. And uh, also, remember that uh, this is time to think about other people and to pray for other people. Uh, a lot of people need your prayer. And they also need your ministry. If there's any way you can reach out to them or help them or um, in a tangible way. You might send a card or a letter or a text or something like that and uh, just try to get in touch with them and uh, let them know that you care and let them know that they matter to you and uh, that will uh, unify the church, bless them. And, you know, the uh, enemy has a way of trying to isolate us, whatever we do, he always wants us to think that we're alone, that no one cares. And uh, that's really not true, and we know that's not true, but we feel it sometimes. And let's counteract that with um, just ministry to one another. So go to the church webpage at gracewayokc.org and uh, download the newsletter and take a look at the prayer list that's on there. And not only that, but keep up with other things, um, offerings, um, attendance, and then um, activities that are going on. There's always something for you to not only be involved with, but also just to uh, pray about. And we would really appreciate it if you would take that time. And we do believe that uh, there's power when God's people pray and that God answers prayer and that the greatest thing we can do for each other and for our church, for our nation, is simply to pray and uh, talk to the Father. And with some of the things that are going on, I've been a little distressed as I read some things on Facebook by, well, frankly, some of you. It almost looks as though you believe that God lost the election, that uh, somehow God is the loser on all of this and you've got to remember that God is sovereign and whatever it is he's doing he's the one that chooses our leaders and uh, he is the one that controls all of that uh, for his glory and I don't know uh, what or why on any of that we'll see we'll know sooner or later uh, what God's plan is and what he's doing but we do know that he's the one who's in control and we've got to quit acting like something was stolen or taken or changed or that somehow, um, just to be honest, some of the things that I've seen people post, it acts as though God's will is thwarted. Now, I want to ask you a question. What kind of a witness is that? What does that do? Does that encourage people to trust God? Does that encourage people to lean upon God? I mean, who wants to lean upon a loser? Who wants to lean upon someone who may or may not know what he is doing? And we've got to have our confidence in God. All of our trust has to be in the Lord, not partial, not a little bit in God and a little bit in politics or anything like that. All of it all of it has to be in God. And we are to, as we uh, looked at last week in Psalm 33, we're to be joyful people. And I want to ask you, where's your joy? 
And if your joy can be taken away on um, the news of who's elected, then your joy wasn't in Jesus. Now that's an indictment for all of us, and I include myself in that as well, that we've got to look at everything through the eyes of the plan and the purpose, the prophecies, and the kingdom of God. And so uh, let me encourage you to do that. Pray for our current president. Um, I don't understand things like when there's only a week or so left in his term, why do you want to spend the time and the effort and the money to impeach him? That just means there's more going on than just the peaceful transfer of power or the election or anything. There's a lot of this that certainly is personal, and we need to pray for him. And then we need to pray for our new uh, president, the upcoming one, uh, Joe Biden. And we need to pray that uh, God's will would be done and that God would be glorified through him. And also, I pray that whatever is ungodly, that the Lord would put a barrier up, put things in place that would stop or prevent those things from happening. And then if there's anything that would be good and beneficial to the kingdom of God, to the people of God, and to the nation as a whole, we love our neighbors, uh, that God would enhance that. He's able to do that. And there have been um, a lot of people, I'm, I'm not a Democrat, you know that, and I don't really agree with their agenda, uh, morally or otherwise. However, there have been people who have wanted to do far worse, and they weren't able to because God was the one who put a stop to it. And read in Daniel, I believe it's the fourth chapter, what uh, Nebuchadnezzar says about God and about his power and his ability to rule over nations and to rule over rulers. After all, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords, the president of all presidents, I guess we could say. And um, he's, he's going to take care of his people and he's going to watch out after you as well. And he may have something in mind that you and I uh, would never dream of. And it might blow our minds. We'll just have to trust him and walk with him. And after all, the Lord Jesus may come back tomorrow and none of this matters, right? So uh, let's keep looking up and let's keep our faith where it belongs. And that all leads me into... This idea of uh, faith. Without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. Let that sink in. Impossible, impossible to please God. And so doesn't it make sense that the enemy would attack us in terms of our faith? Now, I don't know that he cares so much whether it is on big issues or small issues, just as long as we are walking by sight and not walking by faith, which, of course, most of you realized that's a perversion of the scriptural command to walk by faith and not by sight. It's difficult to do. And uh, one of the areas that we find that is brought up in this psalm, the 33rd psalm, is this idea of creation. Now, 
I know that as we talk about this, the first thing that comes into your mind is, come on, Brother Greg, everybody knows that. Everybody believes that. Yeah, but let me ask you a question. Do we emphasize it in the same way that the Bible does? Because it's very important for us to think biblically. And one of the things that I've been noticing lately is creation is not just something that is for little kids. It's not just for Awana. It's not just for the nursery. Who made the birds? Who made the flowers? Well, we ought to be teaching our children that. But when it comes down to you and me, why is it that I get the idea that uh, for a lot of believers, they think that creation is something that, well, that's for church. But when you get to the realities of science and intellect and education and all of that, that's when you go to the school. That's when you go to the education system. That's when you go to the university. That's when you go to the scientists. I mean, they're the ones that really know because, after all, that is science. And, well, we've heard in this campaign in 2020, we're supposed to be following the science. Now, why is it that the Bible seems to tie redemption and creation together. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I do know this one thing. Both of them, when God created the heavens and the earth and the animals and the plants and the people and the galaxies and all of that, he did it, what theologians call, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He is the one that when he created Adam, he breathed into Adam the breath of life and Adam became a living soul. In other words, things that didn't exist now exist. Things that did not have life now have life in creation. Isn't that what he did in redemption as well? He took a dead sinner, you and me and all of us, and he breathed the breath of life. The word for spirit and the word for breath, both in Hebrew and Greek, it's the same word. And so the spirit of God is the breath of God. And the breath of God is the spirit of God. And only God can create life. Only God can take a dead sinner and make him alive. Just like he did for Adam at creation. The two things are tied together. In fact, whenever we look at the Word of God, let's uh, look at Psalm 33, and let's look at verse, we'll pick up where we left off last week, at verse 6, and it says, by the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth, the Ruach. The spirit, the breath, same word, of his mouth. Verse 7. He gathers all the waters of the sea together as a, a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. 
For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. See, worship is tied together with creation. Redemption and creation, we're going to see, are tied together. Our faith begins or it ends with the idea that God exists and that God created everything that is. And that this God is the one who also put in motion the plan of redemption by sending his own son to become a man like us, a human like us, to live a perfect life, die on the cross, and take the punishment for our sins while he was on the cross in a way that you and I could never, ever do. We would be in hell forever. And yet the infinite Son of God took all of that that you and I would have suffered, and he did it in three hours. Only the infinite Son of God could do that. And then he died. And then what happened? He was raised from the dead three days later, and now there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. It's a, a wonderful, wonderful thing, and yet we don't want to divorce that and say, well, I believe in John 3.16. Of course we do. But to say that I can't believe in Genesis chapter 1, there's a contradiction there. If you can't believe what God says in the first three chapters of Genesis, how can you believe what God says in John 3.16 or Romans 10.9 or Ephesians 2.8 um, and 9 or any of those verses? And so we uh, take a look at this and we're going to think about it in uh, these terms. If you were the devil, where would you start at attacking the faith of a culture, the faith of a nation, the faith of the people of God. Where, where would you start? Well, back in the Old Testament, the thing, the issue seemed to be, let's just get them to believe in the wrong God. And let's get them to worship Baal or someone like that. And then when we move on through time as humans advanced in knowledge and science and all of that, Mr. Darwin comes along, and then the attack seemed to be, let's just get them to believe that there's not a God and that everything that is is just random. There's no real purpose. And back in the 1800s when Darwin came out with this, a lot of people that embraced evolution and Darwinism, they didn't abandon everything about God, just parts about God. They didn't abandon the entire Word of God, just parts of the Word of God, and they began to question it. This is exactly what the devil did whenever he was talking to Eve in the garden. He didn't try to get her to deny the existence of God. He didn't try to get her to deny everything God had said. He just starts questioning some of what God has said. Did God really say you shouldn't eat from every tree of the garden? Oh no, we can eat from all of the trees except this one. And then, you remember, the devil says, you're not going to die. God knows that in the day you eat from this tree, you'll have your eyes opened and you will be as gods. And that's really what uh, depraved humanity wants. They want to be God, don't they? And that's what Darwinism kind of does. 
It takes God off of the throne and it exalts man. We are the uh, prize winners, I guess you would say, in the lottery of chance called evolution. And we're the ones that, you know, sort of, you know, uh, mutated accidentally into the place where we are right now. And uh, we don't need God. We don't pray to a God. We're not created by God. We have no real purpose. In fact, we're just a colossal accident. And human life doesn't mean any more than the life of a mosquito or a whale or a tree or anything like that. And think about what that does to worship. There's no awe in all of that. There's no wonder in all of that. And there's no worship in that at all. Let all the world, the psalmist says, stand in awe of him. Why? For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Well, you take that away and you have nothing like that. So let's talk about it. Number one, the Bible emphasizes creation. It's not just a byproduct. It's not just, ah, oh, everybody knows that. It's not just, well, that's for little kids and uh, that's not really uh, a big deal or scientific. Uh, it is. We saw it as we read there in uh, Psalm 33. But also... When you uh, think about God and his authority, it rests upon the fact that he is the creation. All other revelation and all other doctrines rest upon creation. Consider this. The opening of the entire Bible in Genesis 1-1 is the statement about creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Somehow the Holy Spirit of God, when he was inspiring Moses to write that, the very first thing he said is in the beginning God. And then he tells us that this God that was in the beginning created everything that there is. It seems like it's pretty important to God and it's important to the entire word of God, to the Bible. When you think about the opening of the Gospel of John in the New Testament... The, uh, the book that has uh, more theology in it than um, uh, you might imagine. It's more than just a story. It's telling us who God is. And in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, I mean, right off the bat, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When you get on into the book of Hebrews, that wonderful faith chapter in Hebrews chapter um, 11, and if you read down at verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, God created them out of nothing. Even our faith, all of that in chapter 11, rests on the fact that he is the creator. When you get to the uh, book of Revelation, the apocalypse, it uh, talks about the 24 elders as they are praising the Lord, and they praise him as creator. Have you ever noticed? Revelation 4, 11. Worthy are you, 
um, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And so why is it that at significant points in the scripture that creation is mentioned and yet we pass it off as though it doesn't matter. We barely teach our children about it. We assume they're going to learn about it in Sunday school and that's going to be good enough. We don't talk about it with them. We don't really train them in that to understand it and fortify them against evolution and against so-called science that they're going to learn in school and then we wonder why they abandon the faith. It rests on the fact of a rock-solid creator and the doctrine of creation. Number two, notice that the creator powerfully and sovereignly does the impossible. It says here that he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. You ever tried that? Go out to um, oh, a mud puddle, do it in the bathtub, go to the ocean, go to a lake, and take the water there and try to gather it all together as a heap. And the whole idea behind that is, you can't do that, I can't do that, but God can do that. He stores up, lays up the deep in storehouses. That could be a reference to heavenly storehouses where the clouds are that bring the rain that fill up the lakes and the rivers and all of that. Or it could be a reference to um, underground, you can dig, and what do you do? You, you strike water. Uh, the Lord is the one who is able to do all of that because the infinite can do what humans cannot do because nothing is impossible with God. And so he creates us out of nothing, and he sustains what he creates because he can certainly do the impossible. He holds it all together. He's actively involved in it. He doesn't just wind the clock, <coughs> pardon me, and then walk away from it and let it run. He controls everything that happens, even doing these impossible things that human beings could never, ever do. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We miss that too, don't we? For him. And he is before all things. That means he outranks everything. And in him, all things hold together. Why is it that we have gravity? Why is it that we have the right amount of oxygen? Why is it that we have the right amount of sunlight? Why is it that we have day and night? Why is it that even when uh, everybody talks about so much about climate change and all of that, that there's so much consistency <coughs> on earth? Why is it that you can chart the sunrise and the sunset and the changing of the seasons and all of this? Why is that happening? Because God is the one who made it. God is the one who holds it all together. He sustains it because just like putting the waters together in a heap, he can do that. And he can put the water where it belongs. He can control all of that because he can do the impossible. He is, after all, 
the Creator. Thirdly, the Creator is the one who is deserving of praise. Let all the earth fear the Lord, the psalmist says. Let all the inhabitants, all of them uh, of the world, stand in awe of him. And that makes me think of Psalm 100. I love that psalm. And it again ties everything, the praise and everything, to creation and to our accountability to our creator. He's our authority. He's our reason for existing. He deserves our praise. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. I mean, that's a beautiful way of saying our thankfulness, our accountability, our service, our submission, our love, everything that we uh, have should go to the Lord. Everything is to be to him and for him and for his glory. And why is it that we live in a world that is so unthankful? Why are we living in a world that is so seemingly out of control? Why is it that nothing seems to fit together and, and work? Well, could it be because years ago we decided that we don't have a creator, that we're on our own and we can do what we want to do and we can rearrange society and we can rearrange morality and we can change the laws of nature and the laws of God even with our own bodies if we want to because we after all are humans we are the king of the mountain here and we can do whatever it is that we want and might it be that God is stirring up and shaking things up right now to say no you can't not so fast and here we are acting as though that uh, we've got everything under control and God is saying, no, you don't. I'm the one who is in charge. And number four, think about this. The creator alone can redeem. Uh, verse nine in this psalm says, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Now, that doesn't actually say anything about redemption, does it? But it made me think of another verse. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let this bless you. Because it brings it together beautifully. And it uses the same imagery as Psalm 33. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There it is. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now notice in the psalm we looked at, it talks about God spoke and then everything came into being. Okay, paraphrase. And the book of Hebrews at the very beginning says, he's the one who spoke, he's the one who created, he's the one who even upholds this universe. This universe that is so big, we haven't even been able to explore it or see it or understand it all. And he holds it in his hand. That's how big and that's how powerful he is. And you'll notice here that when it talks about him speaking forth and bringing into existence all things, it immediately goes into the fact that he is our righteousness. He's our purification. He's the one that sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And why does he do that? Because he's the one that through his own blood shed it for us that we might be redeemed. And so all through this, you find creation tied together with thankfulness. You find creation tied together with power. You find creation tied together with redemption. And you find it tied together with worship. And maybe the reason we're not as thankful as we ought to be is we've sort of abandoned the doctrine of creation to the so-called science of the world. Maybe the reason that we don't really find purpose and meaning in our life is because we've kind of gotten the idea that we are the king and we are the uh, ones that everything ought to revolve around instead of understanding that everything revolves around Christ and his glory and his power. And maybe we don't appreciate our redemption because we really don't see the fact that the God who created us and the God who created everything that we enjoy. This God is also the God that says, the soul that sins shall die. This is a God that told us the wages of sin is death. How long has it been, <coughs> pardon me, since you actually thought of that? And you realized where God found you dead in trespasses and sins. And the same God that breathed life into Adam and made him a living soul is the same God that breathed into you through his Holy Spirit and brought you to life out of death as a sinner and brought you into his kingdom. This is the God who creates. This is the God who sustains. And this is the God that we are commanded to worship because of who he is. Don't let anything rob you of that. Don't let anything distract you from that. Don't let anything replace that in your life or even in the life of your children or in the life of your family. Because it's when we understand the creative power of God, that's when we begin to see everything else theologically fall into place, especially that of redemption. Because the creator is the redeemer and he is worthy of our praise and worthy of our awe and worthy of our worship let's give him what he deserves after all he made us and not we ourselves we are his people 
and the sheep of his pasture. So be thankful unto him and bless his name. Even in these confusing and difficult times, God knows what he is doing and he does all things well. May the Lord bless you. May he give you peace. May he display his power in your life. May he give you opportunities to witness like you have never experienced before. And may you have the joy of the Lord to be your strength because he is your master, your Lord, and your creator. And he's also your friend through Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking time to watch this. And may the Lord give you some things to think about, meditate on for his glory. And may the Lord bless you richly.